This is the Art of Darkness podcast with Kevin Kautzman and Brad Kelly. We're a couple of very online writers interested in the dark side of what drives creative people to create against all odds. This show is about art and the people who make it, what it costs them, and what it takes to bring something unique and impactful into the world. Each episode, we excavate the life and work of an artist you might think you know. Don't worry, they're all safely dead. On every episode, we try and find out just what the hell was wrong with them and how they worked through their darkness to create something that lives on after them and continues to move culture. Find us online at artofdarkpod.com and on Twitter at artofdarkpod. All right, we've got some sponsors for the pod now. Wait, what? Every link you need for the things we talk about here is at artofdarkpod.com slash sponsors. First up, books. If you're into this podcast, Odds are you're probably a reader. We've got links to buy new books from bookshop.org and used books from alibris.com. And if you want to listen to your books, we recommend and use audible.com. It's great and the catalog is huge. All right. So if you're listening to this, you are online. Maybe you're very online. You probably have a website or are thinking of starting one. Maybe you want a website like artofdarkpod.com. We built that with WordPress, which is by far the most popular way to create websites. And the single best host for serious WordPress is WP Engine. I've personally used them for over a decade now, and I don't host my websites anywhere else. Go to artofdarkpod.com slash sponsors and click on the WP Engine link to learn more. Finally, the best way to support the show is at patreon.com slash artofdarkpod. Get the bonus After Dark content for every episode, access to the book club, and more. Thanks for supporting Art of Darkness. And I, I don't think that was too painful. I think no, we did a pretty good job good. there. Yeah. Yeah, that sounded good. Yeah. Yeah, we appreciate it. And we are back with another Dark Room episode, very special Dark Room episode. This time on Walt Disney, uh, who Blowergeist, Jacob Everett, called the Sorcerer Supreme of America back on our core episode back, oh, geez, a year and a half ago or something now. Um, <clears throat> and uh, to have this conversation, we're going to have the person who I think is the best astrologer in the game uh, joining us to walk us through Walt Disney's natal chart the astrological significance of his uh, time and place of birth and how this all factors into, you know, not only maybe Walt Disney's life, but because of who Walt Disney is, maybe it factors into everybody's life a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah, it's going to be good. Yeah, it's good. Not uh, change that dial. Listen to this. When you're done, go back, listen to the core episode. Yeah, if you haven't already heard it, yeah. I've got a couple of juicy tidbits prepared for the After Dark for our Patreon subscribers. I fully expect we will trigger countless MKUltra sleeper agents. And what you need to know is your MKUltra trigger this time is telling you to go to patreon.com slash artofdarkpod, get the After Dark episodes, get access to the Bookends Book Club, and support independent media. Walt would want you to support independent media. This is our show, Brad. So in, in our <laughs> cinematic universe, uh, in, in any case, the two stories I have for the After Dark for Patreon uh, are about Herman K. Heyman, who was Disney's merch man in the 30s. A and billion dollars in Davy Crockett merch, no, right? 
It's no. going to be ex- yeah. very interesting to read about this fellow. I think there's a, a tidbit in the book, uh, and I'll be I'll be citing and uh, reading from Neil Gabler's great Walt Disney: The Triumph of the American Imagination. And I'll be reading a bit from this for this episode too when we get to the Disneyland portion. Mm-hmm. I think there's a a sentence in the book where they call this K fellow the homeliest man they've ever seen, something like this. Tremendous, tremendous. And the other story for After Dark is about the plans they had vaguely to possibly do a theme park in St. Louis. I Ah, think that'll be an interesting little detour. And I'm very excited to see what Owen's analysis of Disney's chart does to our understanding of this of this great American impresario and yeah. genius of the of the American dream. Uh, I Let am. Me, oh, yeah, I just want to say we've never done a darkroom like like this. So very exciting. Go on, Brett. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. very interesting. I just wanted to make, give Owen a proper introduction here. Um, uh, this is Owen Briggs, who's joining us this evening. Um, oh. You can find him at, uh, at on Twitter at Bowl of Heaven, Bowl like the animal of heaven underscore. Um, and he, in addition to, you know, the profound and sometimes provocative astrological insights he's providing there, he also provides natal chart reading and I believe other astrological services, which I cannot recommend enough. That's how this conversation, the, this was the conversation before this conversation that uh, I, I sought out Owen for a, a natal chart reading and, and found it absolutely fascinating. So, um, so Owen, welcome. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for, you know, making some time in your Saturday evening to come hang out with us and talk Disney. We really appreciate right, it. I'm glad to be here. I'm glad to be here. I'm happy yeah, to start yeah. anywhere you like. I mean, yep. the thing to start, the place to start with any natal chart is the big three. That's your sun, your moon, and your ascendant. Everybody knows what the sun is. You know, if somebody says, I'm a Sagittarius, I'm a Taurus, or whatever, they're referring to their sun sign. Uh, but the other nine planets, including Pluto, are very important. And then there's the ascendant, which is if you draw a line from the place that somebody was born to the eastern horizon, that's their ascendant. It's complex. Anyway, we'll get to that. I, okay. I think so we could say for hang, hang on. I think we could say for Disney's chart that Pluto is extremely important. <laughs> well, <laughs> Zing. Uh, Zing had to do it. Go ahead. But that yeah. is sure. Um, yeah. So Sagittarius Sun. That is Disney, and Sagittarius is a visionary. This is at the core of what Disney is, who Disney is. He is somebody who is seeing beyond the horizons of most people. He is somebody who wants to do something fundamentally new. He's somebody fundamentally concerned with the future. So you get things like Epcot, City of Tomorrow, that kind of thing. And he is willing to take a chance. That's Sagittarius Sun. The other component that's very important is Libra Moon, because this determines what he's really comfortable with in his bones, what he needs. And that is human company. It's, it's keeping things elegant. It's keeping things romantic, fashionable even. The Libra Moon males are renowned for their fashionability. You take Sylvester Stallone. You take even Mel Gibson. They're good examples. But anyway, Walt Disney, he's somebody who likes to weave a fantasy. That's Libra. And he's a visionary. So you put those two things together and you really get the core of who he is. Nothing else in the chart is really going to overwhelm. The indications from the sun and the moon in terms of your inclinations, your needs, your capacities, that kind of thing. But they're going to flavor it. They're going to color it. Lastly, of the big three, you have the ascendant, Disney's ascendant, and that is Virgo. Virgo likes to hit the nail on the head, likes to get all of the details right. 
You know, that's animation. Every single frame has to be perfect, flawless, lining up flawlessly, or else the illusion is broken. Yeah, that sounds exact. That's this sounds like exactly Walt Disney so far. I think everything is everything is lining up exactly like Walt Disney. Kevin, what is your sign? I'm I a like Leo. I should know this. You're a Leo. A, oh, a Leo. it all makes sense now. Mm, I am. <laughs> yeah, okay. and okay. I think I I think about like a Leo Virgo cusp. August nineteenth. Mm, no sort of things cusps. No, no ah, sort of thing. Okay, okay. You all right. Dominant told that. Nonsense, Ken. Anyway, no, you're cool. It's, uh, yeah, you're a Leo. You're dead okay. set a Leo. Okay. It's one or the other, basically. Yeah, interesting. Okay, okay. Good to know. Right. What are you? What are you, Brad? I'm an Aries. I'm the best sign. Ah, right. <laughs> yes, Aries wants to be first. You're both fire signs. You're both people willing to put yourselves out there. So yeah, I'm a Taurus for the record. But let's get let's get on. To yeah, no, we'll get we'll get on Walt. I just yeah. got suddenly yeah. curious about Kevin. Huh. I'm sort of wondering about him over there. What I what mm. I might know about. Yeah, yeah it's it interesting fundamentally. But yeah. so basically, with Disney, going back to the Sagittarius thing, you know, he's a visionary. He's somebody who's looking to the future, looking to the next thing, and trying to get there before anyone else. That's what Sagittarius is really good at. That's what it's designed to do. And what's going to influence the way in which it does that is the sign that Jupiter is in. Now, Disney's Jupiter is in Capricorn. That's a fairly uncomfortable place in some ways for Jupiter because Jupiter wants to be expansive, it wants to be new, it wants to be free and easy. Capricorn does not. In Capricorn's universe, there is only hard work, there are no free lunches, nothing is owed to you, and you do not take risks. Mm-hmm. Jupiter is all about taking risks. Right. So how do you reconcile these two things? It's like Jupiter in Capricorn wants to take traditions, it wants to take a steady foundation, and it wants to do something entirely new with them. And so in the fifth house, houses are another astrological thing that we will get into, but basically it's a domain of life, and if you've got a planet in there, it's going to tell you about that domain of life. The fifth house is the house of artistic expression, and that's where Disney's got his Capricorn, that's where Disney's got his Jupiter, And so he wants to innovate, that's Jupiter, on traditions, that's Capricorn, artistically. And that's the fifth. So that's why he's taking fairy tales. He's taking not only the state of the art animation at the time, but all of these old myths. Uh, You know, you take a look at Fantasia. He's got Greek myth. He's got the orchestra there. Everything, things which quite conventional, quite uh, established traditions are being taken and worked into one another, worked into a new medium in an entirely new and innovative way. Yeah, and most of the first round of films was all sort of retold folklore or myth in some way. I, Bambi, even Bambi, I think is a is uh, I can't remember the exact. I feel like Bambi is a reinterpretation of Shakespeare or something. But mm. I'm, Bambi is the, mm. maybe the film I know the least about. But, but I mean, you know, look it up. Yeah, 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 yeah. But but yeah, I mean, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. That's certainly not Walt Disney didn't come up with. You know, he, he didn't come up with that story. Um, yeah. It's quite a while before I think the Disney Corporation. You know, they do start to they start to branch out. But but initially, you really are talking about. Hey, go ahead, Kevin. Bambi yeah. uh, is based on a German novel. Bambi, okay. eine Lebensgeschichte aus dem Wald. Uh, Vald, okay. yeah, Valda. I knew it, I uh, knew it had come yeah. from somewhere, yeah. Yeah, Bambi, mm-hmm. A Life in the Woods, is a 1923 Austrian coming-of-age novel. Ah, I did not know that. There yeah. you are. 
Yeah. Okay. Well, this is an interesting point since we're talking Bambi, because Kevin, if you recall the story about Walt Disney and the the uh, the owl from when he was a boy, for folks Mm -hmm. who don't remember, do you want to remind people about the owl? Yeah. So so as part of Walt Disney's, and we're we're going to tie this in as part of Walt Disney's uh, in his youth, he lived in a town in uh, Missouri, I believe, is how you're supposed to pronounce that, right, Kevin? Uh, (laughs) He lived in ask Gwyn. Yeah, he lived in a sort of uh, idyllic kind of farm-like environment and became very friendly with a a range of animals. At one point, he has this encounter with this owl in which the owl allows him to get very close to it. And sort of on an impulse that he couldn't later explain, Walt Disney is a boy, I believe he's about eight years old, um, he grabs this owl and essentially beats it to death. And Uh yeah, I read an account of that. Apparently, the owl attacked him or something okay so his retelling there might be different tellings of it i think i believe disney's telling of it in an interview later was that he just sort of grabbed it and beat it to death (laughs) um maybe he was sort of uh, who knows exactly what happened but i think what's undeniable is he killed an owl yeah i mean so i've got the first thing i found usa today compromised but that's okay (laughs) uh it was a lazy hot sunday afternoon and seven-year-old walter Elias, Elias, Disney, was bored. Spying a big brown owl in an orchard near his family's Missouri farm, the boy crept up behind the animal and grabbed it. When the frightened creature started to fight and claw, Disney panicked, throwing it to the ground and stomping the life out of it. It was an act that haunted his dreams for years. And that episode and other close encounters with death would mark Disney's life and his work, and thus the collective imagination of Disney fans around uh, across the, gro- the globe. Interesting. Yeah. Okay, mm-hmm. so it's a kind of a combination. You didn't just grab it and kill it, and it didn't yes. just attack. It was sort of a mixture of the two, I suppose. But it wasn't a. Uh, it wasn't intentional. He didn't like set out to go murder an owl. It's sort of. Uh, when you're a child, sometimes things get out of hand. Seven right? years old, you grab yeah. an owl, the owl's yeah. going to claw you. And, okay, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. we're not necessarily here to indict him on criminal charges for it. But it is interesting, I think, the... I, I was kind of curious about his relationship to animals, according to, you know, according to his, his natal chart. Um, if there's anything owl-specific in there, um, Disney is very animal-heavy. Right. I mean, every half of the films, uh, maybe all of the films have an animal character. Some of them are about just about animals with humans being either off screen or only on screen uh, very momentarily. What is there something we can say about this? Does this owl thing mean something to you? Oh, yeah, well, it's always, there's always going to be something behind it. You know, if fact, throws us these circumstances, even if you're not bringing astrology into the picture, there's mm-hmm. certainly such a thing as fate. And fate will throw us these circumstances that are instrumental to our development in ways that we may never completely understand. But typically, we will progressively understand them. We will work them out in the course of our artistic life or any other kind of endeavor that we're engaged with. But Disney, yeah, it's, it's a number of things. If you're talking about animals and their role in somebody's life, you're looking at the sign Cancer and you're looking at its ruling planet, the moon. And Disney has his moon fairly prominent involved with his fifth house. It's making a square to his fifth house, and I'll explain what that means. The square means that there's like a complex and a tense relationship between the two things. So with the moon, you've got the animal qualities, you've got, hmm, the popular appeal, 
popular appeal of Disney, ultimately that's the moon. Everything to do with the moon has to do with what is universal and what is uh, deeply personal as well in the way that, you know, for instance, childbirth, your wife has a son, something like that. That's very deeply personal, but it's something that everyone can relate to. And with something like that, you're talking about the moon, the need to eat, the need to sleep, all of this very basic human stuff is lunar. So Disney has a complex relationship between all of these matters and between his artistic life. He's somebody who simultaneously wants to, and being a Libra moon, he's a people pleaser, he wants to get on the same page as people. He simultaneously wants to give the people what they want, but also what he feels they need, what he feels only he can give them in his unique way. So if you're asking about the owl, it's a fascinating thing. I mean, we can take various perspectives on it. Um, Disney has this square from the fifth house, Capricorn is his fifth house because signs become houses. Capricorn is his fifth house, square to the Libra moon. And so once again, we're going back to Capricorn. Capricorn is a very heady, dark, gloomy, ominous sign. Libra is very romantic, flowing, fantastic, that kind of thing. And you're fusing these two things together. So. Yeah, you get something like the owl. You get, again, a bird. Birds, all the air signs, including Libra. I mean, the owl is uh, regularly associated with Libra. Uh, but with the Capricorn element there, it's something, again, heady, gloomy, ominous. Even, yeah, there's a sense of doom about it. There's a sense of heavy doom. But again, going back to the Cancer there, going back to the moon, the moon has to do with our infantile experience. It has to do with everything that we go through at a very impressionable stage. And so with the square to his fifth house, what he's got is he's got all of those weird traumas. That's the moon as well. He's got all of these weird traumatic experiences because killing something is very traumatic. And he himself, by his own account, said uh, yeah. that he was traumatized by it and that he was trying to work it out or make up for it somehow in his art. So you've got all these weird, traumatic, infantile, early childhood experiences feeding into his art in a kind of complex way. He's got a need to express it. He's got a need to do justice to it. And that is a start if you want to yeah. explain what the owl event has to do with his art. Yeah, no, very, very, very interesting. Now you got me thinking about sort of traumas. Well, so here's, here's and, and we'll tie it to Disney. This is maybe somewhat of more of a general astrological question. So what kinds of things? So we know a little bit about his childhood. Um, and I'm kind of wondering, so I can understand how we get sort of personality traits or what we might call personality traits and interests and dispositions towards things. But in terms of like actual events. So, for instance, um, Walt Disney's father was very much against. He's one of these dads who is just all you're supposed to do is work hard. Yes. Forget all this artsy fartsy stuff. You know, th that doesn't mean anything. Um, and Walt, Walt had to deal with that. Luckily, he had a, another adult figure in his life who was much more supportive of it. And so it kind of worked out. But I wonder is like, can you see something not necessarily even in this case, but is that something you can see in a natal chart? Absolutely, because this is the thing that most people don't understand, is that the natal chart is not a depiction of you and your personality. It's also that, but it's more broadly a depiction of your entire life, of your biography. It's telling you the circumstances that you're going to encounter. 
You can very often read things about a person's parents out of their natal chart. So you mentioned Disney's father was extremely hardworking, you know, just work, 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 don't risk anything on any of that nonsense, that artsy-fartsy nonsense, that kind of thing. That is coming through in the Capricorn. That is Disney's Capricorn. Typically, where you've got your Mars, where you've got your Saturn, where even your Jupiter, that's going to relate to your experience of your own father. You know, the traits in him that come through in his relationship with you that you particularly perceive and which make an impression on you during childhood. And again, in Capricorn with his Mars, Jupiter, Saturn, and Venus in Capricorn, he is perceiving his father as somebody who is very hardworking, very stern, decisive, all business, that kind of thing. And of course, he has to have those traits in himself nascently for those experiences to impact him in that way and to reinforce those traits in his own personality. But it's all a big mix. Everything, his individual experience, his experience in the world, the events that come to him, all of that is in his natal chart. Interesting. Yeah. It, and, and we do see in Walt Disney, and this is one of the reasons he's an interesting person to talk about in this, you know, generally in the show, we cover people who more um, neatly fit into the category of artists. We cover somebody whose main thing is writing novels or painting, right? Whereas Walt Disney, he had an artistic sensibility, but really, you know, I think his, his uh, contribution, as it were, is really as like a businessman. At more than anything, right? I mean, I don't know, Kevin, how you, what you think of like, what is your, how much of, how much of Walt is artist? How much of him is sort of businessman? How much of him is sort of? I, I don't think that he's like any other figure. He's, right. I mean, I can't think of anybody who would be comparable. I'm sure I, I could if I stretched myself. Maybe we have um, J.K. Rowling now, but even that doesn't feel right. He, yeah. he was an innovator of so many different things. He was an empire builder. I think mm. people think of him as, but yeah, maybe maybe businessman over everything else because, yeah, yeah I don't know, Brad. That's it's a yeah. difficult thing to say. Yeah, yeah, it's, just, it's, it's interesting. So you might see this sort of creative impulse take on a more, uh, a route that's more in alignment with what we're talking about, right? And yeah, people might say that as like, well, he's trying to make his father happy or 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 something like mm. that, right? But, but I mean, he was he was a creative fellow, but I think mm-hmm. it's this this Capricorn that our friend Owen is pointing out. This extremely yeah. hardworking. This isn't a guy who was going to end up like Emil Charon in an attic, right. uh, tooling <laughs> his bike around. This was right. ex- a very very hardworking man who wanted to control and shape reality, and who did as much. Mm-hmm. Uh, as anybody else in the 20th century. It's very funny. I'm I'm poking around at my uh, computer in my browser as we're going along, and I, I'm like looking up, okay, Walt Disney and astrology. And like on the first page of Google, it's like, which Walt Disney resort should you visit based on your astrological chart? <laughs> like, what? Yes. <laughs> Yeah, wow. Interesting. There's a lot of complete crap out there, I'll say that. But but let me tell you, it was very interesting what you said in terms of Disney covering a lot of ground. That is textbook Sagittarius. Now, as I said, he's got Sagittarius ruled by Jupiter and Capricorn there. There's kind of a tension between Jupiter and Capricorn. Capricorn wants to focus on one thing and do it perfectly. Jupiter wants to spread its love all around and try any number of things. With the Sagittarius son, he is fundamentally somebody who, again, as you say, Brad, entered into so many different fields of human endeavor, 
But with the Jupiter Capricorn, they were all ultimately revolved around business, getting things done, making a concrete product. It's a funny thing. You know, I was looking into Snow White just before, just before this started, yeah. uh, talking about the investment, the massive risk, the investment that he took on to get this film done. It was the first animated feature-length film. And that is textbook Jupiter and Capricorn. Jupiter normally wants to just sort of go places, see things risk-free, that kind of thing. But with Jupiter and Capricorn, you can't do that. It's sort of like you can only get something new done. You can only venture to a new horizon by putting your head down, working yourself to the bone. You know, they were having 12-hour days, seven days a week. People were exhausted. That's how Jupiter Capricorn does new things. And with the sun in Sagittarius, that's fundamentally what Disney was concerned with breaking new ground and doing entirely new things. Yeah. And he, de- I mean, he definitely did that. I, it, it, I think it's easy now with Disney what it is to sort of, it feels like one of these things that's always been there. But when Snow White came out, yeah, like you said, first animated feature film. I, 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 for a lot of people, it was the first time they'd seen color on screen. Yeah. Um. So just this the prof- profound a profound innovation in in, in a lot of ways, and, and and film that somehow still holds up in a way that not that many films from that era do. There's some, but um, very interesting. Now this thing with the twelve hour days is uh, it gets us into something else I want to talk about. There's a lot of different leadership styles a person can have, right? A lot of different ways that you can get somebody to do something, right? Uh, for like Kevin, I get him to help out to, to work on the show by blackmailing him. Now, people don't know right. that because that yeah. would ruin blackmail. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, Brad <laughs> blackmails Kevin dot substack dot com, <laughs> I think. But, but, yeah. but so how can we describe, you know, on an interpersonal basis, how Walt Disney might be a leader? How does he get these people to work these 12 hour days? Hmm. Well, by working very hard himself and by taking things very seriously himself. That's Capricorn. Capricorn Mm -hmm. works harder than anyone. It is responsible. It makes the sacrifices, first of all. I mean, again, again, I was seeing this just before we started up. Uh, Disney did uh, many years of of manual labor. He was uh, wandering around as a newsboy or something. Doesn't sound like hard work, but it was. Uh, He served in World War I. He had been there and done that, and he really considered himself a seasoned human being. He considered himself a patriarch. That's textbook Capricorn. And he considered himself fit and responsible and ready to lead people. And in practice, we see that he was because he got an incredible amount done. Yeah, that patriarch thing is interesting, too, because in some ways he transformed himself into like the nation's patriarch, right? Mm -hmm. He was sort of Uncle Walt to an entire generation of kids internationally to a certain extent, right? And sort of, can we, can we say anything about the fact that he, because he was a public, he was a public figure in addition to being sort of the man making all of this. Well, happen, yeah, like right? uh, what was the show that was on ABC? Because of course, ABC is Disney. I don't know when that happened exactly, yeah. but uh, what was that called? It was like, Walt Disney Tonight oh, I can't or remember. something like that. Something I can't remember like that. But he was, was on yeah. screen. Walt Disney of... Presents, yeah. And he would come in like uh, a lot like our friend uh, from the Twilight Zone. Mm-hmm. Uh, Serling, yeah. Rod Serling, yeah. Yeah, he was in everybody's living room. I have something that might serve as a uh, proper segue. So this is from The Guardian reviewing uh, this book that I'm going to uh, leverage, The Triumph of the American Imagination, Walt Disney, Neil Gabler. Uh It is unrealistic to imagine that the real Disney would match the public image he created. 
Certainly Gabler's book dispels many of the kindly old man images. He details an at times tragic life. Disney's father ended up resenting his son and their relationship fell apart. Disney refused to cut short a business trip when his father died and missed his own father's funeral. He also had a mental breakdown in 1931 as he and his wife struggled to have children and she suffered several miscarriages. Disney was also cruel and controlling to employees, terrorizing them with humiliating dressing downs. It included even his brother, Roy, who kept the company afloat with the financial acumen Walt did not appear to possess. Yet that did not stop Disney from ridiculing Roy in public. At one meeting discussing the film Fantasia's soundtrack, Roy suggested using some more popular music. Disney kicked him out of the room saying, go back down and keep the books. Whoa. <laughs> Wow. Yeah. So, yeah. I I mean, it's just, that's another one of these cases. It's sort of like these stories sound terrible, and they they are. You know, if you don't have somebody like that, does the Disney thing happen? It, no. It's hard. To, it, right. It kind of does. Capricorn. Capricorn's a hot house. Right. That's what it's for. It gets things done. Somebody's no got to get things done, yeah, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Int- very interesting. Huh. Um. One thing we kind of talked about a little bit and I was hoping we could get into was um, so watching the Disney films and trying to understand, you know, it, it's not that Walt was writing all of these and animating all of these himself, but at least at first he sort of defines the the all overall aesthetic, both how things are going to look, the kinds of stories we're going to tell. And as we're watching, you know, kind of going back to some of the old films, I think Kevin pointed this out that there's a sort of a almost like a pagan kind of vibe to these. And we're kind of wondering, like, you know, what would have does does his natal chart say anything about what his relationship to religion might be, what his sort of cosmological perspective might be? What what what, what can we learn from that from that about him? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's his Jupiter for one thing. And then that's going to relate to his ninth house, which is different. We don't need to get into that point being. Okay. Disney had what I would call a very deep, gloomy, even a horrifying understanding of the broad metaphysical nature of reality. That was the level that he was engaging with it on. Uh, again, somebody for whom opportunity only comes in the form of hard work, somebody who really has to suffer and grind to achieve anything at all, that's all Capricorn. Capricorn is naturally a very pessimistic and gloomy kind of character. But then you've got the influence of Scorpio working into his religious views. That's due to a sextile, making a particular angle, Mercury and Scorpio making an angle to the ruler of his ninth house. And what that's doing is it's giving him a will not only to go to extremes personally and to ask questions regarding his broader metaphysical views, spiritual, religious, whatever. It's giving him a capacity to keep stuff uh, under the radar to keep stuff to himself. He has his own very private relationship with these ideas. That's what we can learn from his natal shot. Mm, interesting. So so that would kind of make sense that he's not going to be sort of outwardly proselytizing mm. um, a particular uh, anything that you can nail down, right? Like, <laughs> you're not yeah, going to walk yeah. away from it. Very interesting. Yeah, and we had kind of wondered, sort of looking at some of the old films, particularly Fantasia, and you're sort of like, I wonder how the Christian world felt about this film, because it's pretty it's it's a great it's an amazing, 
piece of artwork, but there is something nefarious about it. Yeah, yeah it's genuinely off-putting stuff in there at points, particularly the last one with that giant devil. Yeah. And everything that really creeped people out at the time, yeah. as far as I recall. <laughs> and it should have. I mean, it's, it's I, it creeps me out as a, uh, you know, it, when I first saw it as a child, it's what am I watching? Why have the, right. the adults put this on? Yeah. Yes. And isn't it, isn't it like Wagner in the back? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. Walpurgis Night or whatever. Yeah, 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 yeah Walpurgis Nacht. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Disney uh, Waltz having a normal one. Yeah, we're just for sure. We're gonna make sure you work twelve hours. Paint the devil. Draw the devil. <laughs> yeah, paint. The, draw draw the, devil the devil for me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Very good. Uh, I, I just pulled up a random thing. I'll read from. Um, this is I found awn.com Animation World. Uh some rumors regarding Walt Disney have lived on far too long. Was he a Nazi? No, I mean, he was extremely anti-communist. A super secret, well, maybe he was, maybe he was. A super secret FBI agent. Is he uh, frozen somewhere in a vault? And why does the Christian right hate his company so much? Uh, so this is a fellow Carl uh, F. Cohen. So I'll just read another pair or two. It's kind of fun. Uh, Walt Disney and his corporation are either one of the most evil companies in the world, or they have become a subject of countless false rumors, lies, and hoaxes. Conservative preachers have warned their followers not to pollute their minds with the company's products and to boycott their theme parks. Mm. The Nationalists from 2002. And of course, we see nothing, nothing changes, right? I mean, yeah. what's going on with DeSantis and everything in Florida? The National Enquirer has run numerous exposés. Ah, oh, yes, the paper of record. Including one article that began, Walt Disney was one of America's most admired geniuses, but behind the scenes, he was a hard-drinking drug user whose behavior was so weird his brother Roy feared he was crazy, and mm. on and on. Uh, but, you know, he's, he's been a touch point, I mean, since Disney was a company. Uh, and, and like I said, it, this, this, is, this is still going on. There's this battle in Florida over, what, their tax-exempt status or the special status that they have to police their own park. Uh, in in Walt Disney World, I mean, I think I think your orientation toward this company, uh, and I guess to Walt by extension, is a pretty good political litmus test, like the yeah. uh, the the Twitter uh, meme. Yeah, yeah, yeah mm -hmm. interesting. This Kevin, the thing you mentioned about him being secretly a you know drugs and alcohol. Mm. The one thing we know that he did do a lot, but some of that's probably rumored. But the one thing we know he did was smoked like a chimney. Um. Is this something, is a penchant for this kind of thing something that will show up in his chart, Owen? 100%, yes. In okay. fact, literally everything you said. I can go back talking about his father. I can go back to any of that at any time. <laughs> okay. But the smoking is in there. And yeah. what that is, it's the second house. He's got his moon, roughly similar to what the second house does. It's about how you take care of yourself. Second house is about taking care of yourself. He's got this square from his second house to Capricorn. And the square is telling you there's going to be complexity, trouble, whatever. And then the uh, sign is going to tell you what that's going to involve. So Capricorn treats itself, treats its body like a piece of trash, basically. <laughs> it will smoke, it will drink, it will just, it will go hard. It mm. does not hold back. It yes. just wants to, you know, mm, yeah, enjoy life. It really wants to enjoy life. Because Capricorn's got this very restrained, inhibited, hardworking side. But it wants to enjoy the fruits of its labor and it wants to enjoy them on its own terms, you know? It wants to put in the hard work, make it, and then do what it wants. But yeah, Capricorn going hard on his own body, that's textbook stuff for Capricorn. 
Very interesting. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I mean, we do see that the combination of sort of hardworking people who just kind of will just work themselves to yeah, a nub yeah, and then yeah. just die. Right. That's I mean, that, that is an archetype for sure. Is down and they can shuffle off. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, this is a this is a podcast that uh, respects nicotine. We are a uh, smoking friendly <laughs> podcast, hundred percent. I'm putting that on the record. Is that right? You, you gonna, uh-huh. Well, at least one half of the pod yeah. is. Yeah. Well, hey, I'm reform. I'm reformed, but not entirely. So yeah. <laughs> I'm orthodox. Um, yeah. <laughs> roll my own. Yeah. Go on, Brad. Yeah. So I, I mean, I'm kind of trying to bounce around because I'm, I'm so curious about all of these connections. I mean, the one, the other thing that we were sort of, I think, curious about, um. And, you know, this isn't, well, I'm not going to qualify it too much. Politics. So, you know, the political landscape is in some ways very different than it was when when Disney died. But but in a lot of ways, it's not that different. Uh, You know, what can we say about his political leanings um, and temperament based on his based on his uh, natal chart? Well, I mean, I don't know too much about who he voted for or why. I know there was the anti-communist business. I know there was the uh, uh, anti-union activity, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. He's fundamentally, again, like his father. He's fundamentally somebody who is concerned with keeping business rolling, with getting the job done. Uh, he's concerned also with keeping things smooth and beautiful and nice. He doesn't like conflict. Libra Moon, he is not for conflict. He prefers to avoid it if possible. And it... Really, as you know, as we all know, uh, if anyone's familiar with Disney, it really deeply hurt him, all of this strike activity. Disney was a family at one point, when it was a small company, when they were coming up, but the successes following Snow White really uh, prevented that from continuing on. It it meant that he had to shift into a new mode, and it's sort of easy for him. Again, you can kind of see this. It's sort of like the complexities of maintaining the Uncle Walt persona for your company when you're dealing with a company that's bigger than any one man can really deal with on his own, you don't get to understand people as individuals. And when you can't understand them as individuals, Capricorn shifts into a different mode entirely and it just understands them as, you know, obstructions or help. It's about getting the job done fundamentally. Right. Libra, Libra Moon wants to keep people on the same page while he's doing that, but fundamentally he's about getting the job done. And at, at some point you have to draw up, as he did, he drew up an enemies list. Some yeah. people are on the bad, naughty list. Some people are on the nice list. Yeah. And that just has to happen at some point for Capricorn. Yeah, that makes sense to me, too. I'm remembering the, there's a moment when the labor strikes got very intense. And Walt kind of just bailed off to South America for a while and mm. let somebody else deal with it. It was sort of like, you know, my these people aren't going to work. I don't know how to handle it. So yeah. I, I, and, you know, there was a lot of emotion. I think he had something of a nervous breakdown around that time as He's well. He's conflict so. diverse. He's conflict yeah. diverse. Again, that's the this is a really funny thing that I think is worth getting into. So we said that he's got a square to his moon. That's from Mars and Capricorn. The moon, the moon is telling you what, what do you like to think of yourself as? What do you like to be fundamentally in Libra? Again, that's just a romantic people person, smooth, gets things done, avoids conflict balances the books and keeps things fair for everyone. But with the square to Mars and Capricorn there, that means that he's got a complex interaction between the fact that he likes to think of himself that way and the fact that he has to be a hard-ass to get things done. He has to be cruel. He has to be ruthless. And it messed with him. And as you said, it caused a nervous breakdown. Whenever you've got a hard aspect to the moon, anything like that troubling your moon, 
that's going to indicate stress, going to indicate real emotional turmoil. And that was resulting from the demands of his work. Yeah, interesting. Now, thinking about these demands, there's one other, there's one other sort of the guy who's putting a lot of demands on him is sort of surviving and enduring stress to get these outcomes. There is a big moment. We, we kind of talked about this. And it was interesting to me, Owen, when we talked, uh, when you gave me my natal chart reading, you were saying you can take, it doesn't have to be about a person's sort of life history specifically. You can take an event and, and basically read that event. And so we were thinking about, and we talked a little bit, we talked a little bit about this behind the scenes when uh, opening day for Disneyland, which is a yes. big event, a, a kind of spectacle uh, that, you know, America has never seen. And it was really interesting. We, we kind of like we had talked in our original episode on Disney about how Walt really wanted to bring um, he really wanted to bring live action and animation together on screen. He was always trying to figure out they were always trying to figure out ways to make, make that work. And then he makes Disneyland, which is this kind of way of trying to make a cartoon appear in real life, right? He'd done the make real life appear in the cartoon. Now he's trying to make a cartoon appear in real life. Mm -hmm. And the family went through hell to make this thing happen. Um, but it finally did on July 17th, 1955 in Anaheim, California. What, what can we say about this, the astrological significance of, of this date and time? What could we expect from the opening of, of, of Disneyland? Well, the first thing is really is looking at Disney's chart himself. And for this, we can go back to the square from Moon in Libra to Mars in Capricorn. Libra likes to weave the fancy. Capricorn likes to get things done. You put these together and you've got exactly what you've just said. It wants the fancy to have a concrete outcome. It wants to slave away and put in a lot of hard work and making the fancy real. Uh, but then you take a look at the chart for the founding itself. At that time, you had Saturn and Scorpio. Now, we discussed Scorpio a little bit. Disney has Mercury there. That's why he had such a sharp tongue. That's why he was so capable of just burrowing through and getting to the point, whatever the resistance he was facing. Uh, Scorpio is about getting things done, no matter the cost. It's a bit similar to Capricorn in that way, but Scorpio really more favors the underhanded methods, uh, favors doing things behind the scenes, beneath the table. Uh, you had people sneaking onto Disneyland, sneaking onto the property. You had all sorts of, you know, you had the celebrity guests filling up dancers and stuff on camera, no less. Mm -hmm. A lot of stuff went wrong. Even the uh, even the asphalt was eating eating women's shoes. It had not set completely. This was all really, again, Capricorn Libra. There's a lot of work behind the scenes to make fantasy happen, to make it real, to make it material, because that's what Capricorn wants, and. Various things going on in terms of the essence of Disneyland. Uh, you can see that by looking where the sun was when the opening occurred. And the sun was in Cancer. Now, the sun is, hmm, it's a funny thing. It's a funny thing. We had the sun in Cancer, where to Neptune and Libra. So, what have you got there? Cancer is like sentimental fantasy, childhood dreams, that kind of thing. And Libra, as we've discussed, is fantasy, the image. You're putting those two things together, childhood dreams, fantastic images, fantasy, and you get Disneyland, of course. Wow. Uh, happiest place on earth, where all your dreams come true. Right. That is what happens when you put Libra together with Cancer. But then you've got the Saturn and Scorpio there, making things complex. You know, you've got the weird 
trafficking scandals that go on these days. You hear about them occasionally. Some guy in a mascot suit, Alden, Alden the Dipman suit, fills someone up, something like that. All of this, all of this. Um, so, I've got a, I've got a little background, and this is from the book uh, from Neil Gabler about his motivation to create Walt Disney World, and this follows on some scandalous business about him not hiring minorities. Mm. Um, Walt certainly hated dirt and mess. One of the spurs for creating the park, of course, was the filth that Walt so detested on his Sunday amusement park park excursions with the girls. Disneyland was going to be almost eerily clean, so much so that cleanliness would become not only a hallmark of the park, but a kind of running joke about it. It is calculated that a discarded cigarette butt will lie dormant for no longer than 25 seconds before it is pounced upon, one reporter later wrote of the famous Disneyland sanitation crew. Another called the park a simonized Coney Island that glistens in innocence not only of discarded popcorn boxes and cigarette packs, but also of any least film of pavement dust or fading paint or unpolished bright work and in which one feels guilty for dropping a cigarette butt, and relief at seeing it whisked instantly into a stylish little dustpan by a juvenile lead elegantly costumed as a period street cleaner. The park would never stay clean, a journalist predicted during a tour a week after its opening, to which Walt riposted uh, that it would stay clean because people are going to be embarrassed to throw anything on the ground. This was, after all, utopia. <laughs> yeah so i don't know if there's anything in the chart about that control freak quality maybe that's the cat yeah that's scorpio that's scorpio. scorpio too okay. that's Virgo. scorpio it'll get its hands into the filth but it's better than any other sign at purifying itself afterwards cleaning things up virgo is very concerned with perfection and the details libra wants the flawless facade that kind of thing you put that all together and you've got what you just said. Yeah, I've got a neat freak, right? That that lasts to this day. So I was in Disney World. Um, I've been to a few theme parks uh, with a fam in the last year and a half or so. Disney, not Disneyland, but Disney World being one of them and Universal Studios and then a, a more local one in Ohio, Cedar Point. And Disney World was by far the cleanest of them. And it was sort of like, oh, this how do they keep this? I really remember thinking, like, how do they keep this so clean? Like this. <laughs> so this is very interesting that Disney's been dead for whatever, 60 years or close to it. And this this ethic still seems to be there. Maybe it's not yeah. as intense as it once was, but it's still kind of in the DNA of the park. Yeah, yeah, well, that's the natal chart. The natal chart will always tell you in every detail what the DNA of a place yeah. is. And again, with Saturn and Scorpio, it's that eternal struggle for cleanliness, for purity. Again, Scorpio being concerned with getting into the filth is most concerned with keeping itself pure and clean. Is that is the chart that you're looking at the chart for the park itself? Yeah. Because of yeah, oh, the, the, day that, the, the day that the park ribbon was cut. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Very that's cool. that's tremendous. Very interesting. Everything has a shot. Everything, even this, mm. even this podcast right now. Yeah, well, this is this is something I wanted was going to kind of ask you. It's like, let's say we were going to do we do a lot of episodes, so you know, most of them we're going to do whenever we can do them, whatever makes sense. But let's say we were going to do a big episode, right? And we really needed it to go well. What I'm not asking you to tell us what date, but what should we maybe be looking? How could we tell? Hmm. Well. 
I mean, what's my view on this? There are people who will tell you different things, but I disagree with them. Um, okay. Uh, the common view, I would say, is that you can time it. You can sort of pick the planets and you're like, oh, you know, I want a happy Venus right now. Venus is okay. in Taurus, as powerful as it can be. Okay. Uh, so you're like, oh, I want a happy Venus because Venus, people like Venus. And, but fundamentally, I think that's a misunderstanding. When you really look into the data, and that's what my astrology personally is about, and that's what I think sets it apart from other people's, mm -hmm. when you look into the data, you look at the founding of a popular website, Facebook, Fortune, YouTube, something like that, you'll notice that the planets are everywhere. They're doing everything. You can see their signature in the final product, but the state that they're in has nothing per se to do with whether or not it's going to succeed. So if you have Venus in Taurus, you're going to have a very Venusian product. You're going to have a very calm and easy, and in some ways maybe even a bland or an anodyne product at worst. Mm -hmm. but Fundamentally, you can make anything work, and if something needs to come into being, it will come into being at the right time. So that's basically my view. Things, the, the fake, all of the gears and spinning levers and so on and so forth, all of that knows better than we do. And things mature in us, things mature and come into being at the time that's right for them. So for me, there's no point trying to beat fate, there's no point trying to beat the system. Things yeah. find their way into existence at the right time for them, and you just roll with it and lean into it. I'm yeah. glad that we didn't get uh, a trickster yes. astrologist, yeah. because he'd be like, well, if you wanted this podcast to succeed, you begin yeah. at 2.55 a.m. on... Well, this kind of, you know, and I'd like to, you know, we covered a lot of interesting ground, but I'd like to kind of talk general astrology, or, or maybe specifics, but maybe not quite as much Disney. So yeah. share with people, like, if you can, sort of your philosophy of astrology. Like, well, how, I mean, how do you it comes it? down to a few very simple things. Fundamentally, free will is real, uh, but the astrology is telling you the context in which your free will is operating. It's giving you the playing field. So some people think, oh, you know, if I know my astrology, I'm going to know what my fate is, and I'll sort of lose control over my life or something like that. But really, what astrology is giving you is a map, you know. And when you give a map to a man who's lost in a jungle, when you tell him where he is and how to get where he wants to go, you're really freeing him to make decisions about his life and to find his way in the way that he wants. So... Fundamentally, astrology is liberating. Fundamentally, the more we know about ourselves through astrology or any other means, and really this is why I suspect that the waters have been muddy so much with regard to astrology in the popular domain. You have these awful newspaper horoscopes, but we don't need to talk about them. We don't need to talk about them. Basically, I think that self-knowledge is the path to freedom, is the path to personal development, and that astrology is a very important part of that. Astrology is something very close to the bones of reality. And we as human beings are engaging with every facet of reality that we possibly can, in my view, that we're you know, confident to engage with. Because in my view, we're all basically undergoing one moral dilemma after another, attempting to improve ourselves, attempting to find our way through these things. And the astrology is, again, just the map for that. It's telling you what you're going to face, it's telling you the kind of life that you're going to have, the kinds of circumstances that are going to come into your life. It's a crazy thing. If you look at somebody's natal chart, you can see how other people will deal with them. 
You can even observe yourself. I observe myself dealing with clients and I will start behaving differently. Some things go very smoothly. Somebody's got an indication that they're going to have an easy time with people and the words just flow out of me. Other times things are more difficult. There's an indication, let's say, that somebody will need to ask questions a lot or get into some unpleasant subjects in the course of their work with others and that will come up in the reading I have with them. So it's, it's nuts. I mean, it really is yeah. nuts that you can even look into this stuff. It just beggars belief, honestly, yeah. but it is all there if you can understand it. Yeah, it's hmm. fascinating. How is your, um, how is your, like, how did you learn about this stuff? Like, how did, how did you get, find your way into it? Well, basically, I mean, astrology is everywhere. Everyone knows what it is, even if mm-hmm. what is presented to them is not adequate. Uh, I was reading the autobiography, the memoir of Buddhist scholar Edward Pons, and he was saying, you know, although you might not like to believe it in his German manner, his deliberately confrontational manner, he was saying, although you might not like to believe it, astrology is real and it does work. And I have tested, he says, 99.9% higher in my IQ than anyone else, blah, blah, blah. No, he was a scholar. And he says, read Grant Louis' Heaven Knows What. It is a masterwork. You will be so impressed. And so I downloaded this book. Thankfully, it was online. Uh, Otherwise, I would never have found it. You know, we're very lucky in some ways to have these resources these days. But so I read this book and I went to read my entry in this book. And it described me to a T in ways that I had never considered. Uh, You know, I passed this book by some other people. I get like, I would say, an 80% hit rate with the uh, readings it gives. Uh, so I thankfully was in that 80%. I thankfully was able to be impressed enough that I thought to myself, you know, there's something solid here. And if indeed there is something solid here, then what is here is extremely valuable. And it's really probably worth devoting my life to. Because, you know, astrology is not the center of my life. I did other things for astrology. I, I wrote a novel and stuff, a short story. I never finished the novel, so I can't say I wrote the novel. Um, but I was a writer, I did other things, uh, but astrology is what people really value. You know, being able to tell somebody about themselves in a way that ultimately empowers them and gives them more freedom to live their life in the way that they need to, that's a universally valuable thing. So my artistic endeavors please me, may not please everyone, but the astrology is really something for everyone. And I'm very thankful to have been exposed to it. And I do recommend anyone who is interested in starting with astrology and you're serious about it, read Grant Louis' work. That's D-R-A-N-T, and then second name L-E-W-I. He is on, you know, all the usual places where you can get books. If you're the sort of person who will get a book, you know where to get them. Mm-hmm. Uh, look up his work, Heaven Knows What, and Astrology for the Millions. It's an incomplete system. But it's a great, he, he was a real, he really, in my mind, he's the first modern astrologer. There are people these days regurgitating dead traditions. They don't really understand them. They can make the pieces fit together in a kind of a logically consistent way, but ultimately it doesn't correspond to reality. Grant Louis is really the first guy, I think, who observed life and who connected it to the astrological factors, to the planets. And I'm still learning things from his work years after I began. I can go back there. Just the other day, somebody referred me to a section out of his book, and it totally helps me understand what Saturn in Leo does. That's pretty abstract fact. But, you know, you're going to learn a lot from him if you get into him. That's what I'll say. Fascinating. 
Yeah. And you're going to learn, uh, the audience is going to learn a lot when they follow you on Twitter. And hopefully, well, if well. this is, if this is your, it, it, people listening, if this is interesting to you, um, it's worth it to reach out to Owen for, for a natal chart reading. I think you're going to, you're going to find some fascinating stuff. You're going to find a lot. It's going to be a lot of that kind of thing where you're like, yeah, that makes total sense. There's a, that was that was basically what I did the entire time when when you and I were talking before. It's like, oh yeah, that that totally makes sense. Yes. Yes. <laughs> that is that is me. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So, oh, Kevin, you're muted there. I was going to say, very cool. This I might have to. Yes, I'm thinking very yeah. deeply. I'm actually I did a little bit of research here on the slides. So I've got another okay. little thing before we close this out and come back for the after dark. But yeah, hmm, maybe I'll have to get this for myself, or as like a gift for maybe. Yeah. Uh, or a loved one. That's a good yeah. idea. People, people love this stuff. And uh, I knew a very serious astrologer. Oh my gosh, over a decade ago, um, out here in Minnesota. And I, I don't exactly know what system he used, but um, Owen, you're the way you talk about astrology reminds me of him. Uh, you know, he was a much older fellow, and I, I don't know if he's still kicking. But uh, I think anything. It's like the tarot, which Brad is very interested in. You know, any any moment aside from the let's call it the rat race doom scrolling i'm really gonna think about my life and we're gonna talk about these ideas even if you're an ur skeptic redditor saying nah the stars don't affect my life there's just some value to systematically stepping aside from the normal routine that you're in to shake you up and out of maybe uh your your stupor is that fair to say i see brad nodding i think that yeah you with me, uh, Owen? Oh, you're asking me? Well, I mean, it's, that's for each person to decide for themselves. That's fundamentally what I want to do, is to help each person to achieve their own goals on their own terms. Mm. Because I don't want to impose anything on anyone. It's not my place. I think that everyone really ultimately has to come to their own conclusions about these things. And I think that a skeptical attitude is healthy. I mean, if I didn't have a skeptical attitude, there's so much nonsense floating around out there with astrology. You need to pick everything apart. You need to sort the wheat from the chaff. And the benefit of me, if you're interested in getting a reading from me, is that I've spent every day of the last, I don't know, three and a half years or something doing that. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah, that's that's a great, great pitch. All right. He's gone deep, Kevin. Oh, it is going gone on. deep. Yeah. I respect oh, this. Oh, oh very good. Yeah. And thank you so much for coming on. We're going to talk a little more on the After Dark. I've got the the merch story and the man behind the Disney merch surge in the 30s. We're going to talk about Disney and St. Louis, what they were vaguely possibly doing. And I'm sure we'll go a little more into astrology now. Yes, we've got a couple other questions on that too. So, yeah. Brad, what do you what do you know? And, and Owen too, what do you know about Club 33 at Disney? Do you know nothing. anything about... Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Okay. So, and this is what we're going to use to close this out before we come back on After Dark. Club 33 is an exclusive uh, VIP club. And the main one, the principal founding Club 33, is in Disneyland. And you have to be a member uh, to, to get into it. Uh, I'm looking at pictures of it right now. This is what you get. Well, this is what you have to pay to become a, a Club 33 member. Uh, so Club 33 is ex extremely exclusive, only accepting a few hundred members per destination. Additionally, membership to one Club 33 location won't grant you, grant you access to other destinations. With such limited allowance for membership, not just anyone can join the club. Hmm. Membership comes with a hefty price tag that filters out most people. For the original Club 33 in Anaheim, members must deposit an X 
initial in- invitation? What what do you think that is, Brad? What do you think Wait, annually? Annually, much, to get a club, yeah, to back, just back your, in the just 50s? deposit right now. Oh, today. right now, fifty thousand yeah. dollars, sixty thousand dollars, along <laughs> along with X amount in annual dues. What do you think the annual dues are for Club Thirty Three, Owen? Uh, it's got to be a. I'm asking. I'm asking Owen. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. Sorry. Um, yeah. I really would not know it again. $30,000? Yeah, $25,000 a year annual dues. And uh, and it varies by club. And I don't even know. This article could have been some years ago. And who knows? But this is what you get for that money, for that, you know, you know year of college at Stanford. Um, an additional pass for each year you are a member of Club 33. 50 single-day guest passes to the park. Private VIP tours offered yearly. Club 33 merch offered only to members. Brad, I hope you're taking notes and getting ideas for Patreon, because when we open up the Art of Darkness... <laughs> Club 33. Easy. Yeah. <laughs> right. Club 34. No, yeah. no, no. We can, we're, oh, way oh, more, oh. we're way more <laughs> yeah. clever than that, Brad. Yeah. I like this one. This one's good. Miscellaneous VIP services. Yeah. Wink, oh, wink. Uh, sneak peeks on park news. Complimentary resort hotel upgrades, valet parking, access to 1901, the exclusive lounge in Carthay uh, Circle Theater. It gets better. On top of the money, monetary cost, an even more challenging obstacle lies in the way of those seeking membership. Club 33 is accessible by invite only. So even if you've got the cash, there's no guarantee Disney will deem you worthy of the club. There is a secret society operating in the Disney resorts. Yeah. Several factors (laughs) play into whether or not someone is eligible, but you may expect, as you may expect, the primary variables are fame, money, and influence. No members include Elizabeth Taylor, Christina Aguilera, Elton John, Tom Hanks, Tiger Woods, Michael Jackson, and Katy Perry. Now, this is very funny. This is the funniest typo. Uh, If you're powerful enough to rub elbows with the Disney elite, membership will also grant you a few extra perks. And then there's a colon. And that's where the article stops. <laughs> and, they meant to yeah, add but, some more. <laughs> no, but like right underneath it is like her headshot and her name. <laughs> it's like, uh, Evelyn, did they redact it? What are these extra perks? Right. right. I wow. don't know. Anyway. Wow. Just wow. I did not know about the secret society at Disneyland. Wild. Well, and we can unpack that and more and talk with the great Owen Briggs more about Disney, his chart. Yes, thanks so much. We're also going to talk about the Merch Man, and we're going to talk about Disney in St. Louis. Brad, thank you for organizing this, and I will second what you said earlier and say, yeah, if you're out there and you're interested in in what Owen does, uh, the link to his Twitter is in the show notes at Mm -hmm. artofdarkpod.com. We're going to take a quick break, come back, do an After Dark, another 20, 30 minutes with Owen on the dream weaver of the American mind still going strong. Walt Disney. Oh, and thank you so much. Thank you so much. It is my pleasure. Thank you for having me.